Tech Talks. Everyone is talking about generative AI for lawyers. It started with everyone being wowed by ChatGPT and how it could draft a reasonably good clause for a contract. And now legal teams in law firms and corporate legal departments are setting up their own internal AI groups either to one, use legal tech tools that incorporate elements of generative AI or two, developing their own in-house tool to run on their proprietary data and integrate that into an existing large language model. Some are trying to train it on their own exclusive data so that the tool can produce bespoke results for their team. In this episode, we will address some of the basics of generative AI for legal teams. We have Brian Kennedy, Senior Practice Innovation Manager Real Estate at Brian Cave Layton Paisner to help us break it down to basics. Welcome, Brian. So good to have you here. Thanks, Priya. It's great to be here and thanks for having me on the show. Wonderful. Brian, I wanted to give the audience a little bit of background about you. Brian is a former lawyer with more than 15 years experience as a practicing real estate lawyer at major international law firms. He was also the head of legal engineering and innovation at Orbital Witness, a leading UK legal tech meets prop tech startup. His time there included a significant amount of development activity in the AI space, working with a team of data scientists and engineers to refine and optimize machine learning models to identify risks in proprietary transactions. Now at Brian Cave Layton Paisner, he is responsible for driving forward innovation across the firm's global real estate practice. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. So Brian, let's start with the basics. What is a large language model or an LLM as it's more commonly known as? Well, that's a great place to kick off for sure. So I should maybe begin by saying there's a number of different large language models uh, with different model architectures. And of course, generative AI can be used not just to generate text, but also images and other types of content. But as lawyers are mainly in the business of words and text, I'll maybe focus in on that context. Essentially, a large language model, an LLM, it's a type of deep learning algorithm used for tasks that involve processing natural language. And these models are pre-trained on gargantuan data sets, which allows them to identify patterns and relationships between words and phrases. Now, the, the models everyone's getting excited about at the moment use what's called a transformer architecture. And they generate human sounding responses by predicting in a given context, what word should come next in a sentence. And that's based on the billions of data points the model's been trained on. And typically, you see these deployed in a chatbot interface where the user's uh, request or, or prompt, as we now call it, is inputted and responded to in a naturalistic style. And hopefully that, that, that works as a rough, rough high level explanation. So I was wondering if you talk a little bit about the accuracy problem over here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe if I kind of start with where that comes from. Um, you know, the data that's used to pre-train large language models like GPT-4, it includes a vast amount of information uh, scraped from the web. And that encompasses the full range of sources available on the open, inter on the open internet, uh, good and bad. And I kind of think, you know, everyone in life generally has experienced that if you ask the internet a question, all manner of things might come back not necessarily reliable. So at the pre-training stage, 
these models will have been exposed to some poor quality information that's potentially erroneous, incomplete, or, or out of date. And the problem then, as they say, is rubbish in, rubbish out. And I, I do wonder if accuracy risk may conceivably be more acute in the legal domain than in other spheres. Um, you know, the, the, the reason I'm suggesting that is because in our industry, high quality of data, know-how, precedents and the like, they might not necessarily be freely available on the web, but rather retained within law firms or behind the paywall of other providers because they're valuable IP. And then to cap things off, uh, compounding the accuracy problem is the lack of transparency when it comes to the provenance of the information used to generate an output, uh, at least in the case of open access platforms like ChatGPT. Um, and obviously lawyers do prefer to consult trusted sources and no one wants to end up playing a game of reliability roulette. So, so it, is, it is a material concern. Yeah, this actually brings me to my next question, which is hallucinations. A lot of us have read about hallucinations used in the context of generative AI. Um, given that we just talked about accuracy, I was wondering if you'd give us a little bit of explanation about what a hallucination is. Yeah, well, I, I will do my best. Um, and, and these hallucinations, they're a really interesting phenomenon. Um, we should see them as distinct from the rubbish in, rubbish out problem, because here the model, you know, it's, it's not just regurgitating erroneous information from its training data set. It's, it's making stuff up by itself. And probably a lot of your listeners have heard about the unfortunate case where a couple of New York attorneys relied on ChatGPT when they submitted a court filing, only for it to cite a number of cases that didn't actually exist. Um, obviously, major embarrassment ensued. The cases sounded plausible, but were, were actually invented by ChatGPT. Now, um, as to why this occurs, I've heard a number of data scientists suggest that confabulation is a better metaphor for what's happening here than hallucination. And I perhaps ought to give credit to my former colleague, Matt Westcott, who's the head of data science at Orbital Witness, for helping me to kind of understand this thorny issue uh, a little better. Um, so um, in psychology, a confabulation is when someone's got a, got a gap in their memory and the brain fabricates something plausible to, to fill in the rest. Obviously, we're not talking about the human brain here, but the best explanation for what's happening is, is similar in that the model has a gap in its memory. It, it doesn't like to give nothing back. And so it uses its creativity to generate the missing pieces. And not only that, but generative AI being trained to sound convincing makes this worse. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've sometimes heard this described as the the cocky associate problem. Um, <laughs> before your listeners, uh, you know, get in touch to complain. I'm not suggesting that law firm associates are cocky. It, it's simply one of those turn of phrases that that's come into the discussion, and really, it signifies. And the same way, you know, occasionally human lawyers will state things with a confidence that isn't wholly warranted. The generative AI tends to present information with absolute confidence, rather than saying it doesn't know or that it isn't sure, uh, you know, making it hard to gauge its reliability. Just like a lawyer would. A lawyer would not want to say, you know what, I don't know the answer. Um, the lawyer would prefer to say something and 
confidently say that you know this is what i believe is the answer and i i like the way you're saying that's exactly what the ai does as well yeah yeah there's there's that that it kind of mirrors that reluctance because you know the model has almost been trained to sound confident and convincing um and so that's 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 something that's a particular challenge within you know legal i think um but you know perhaps that all sounds a little scary but it shouldn't be um probably the key thing i'd go on to emphasize is that there are ways to address these issues um you know there's not a reason not to engage with this technology which uh, of course has fantastic possibilities yeah so what are those ways we can sort of mitigate these accuracy problems or hallucinations that arise so these accuracy concerns have led to a push to create legal tech generative ai products and you know products that are based specifically on legal content from trusted curated sources and there's a few different ways in which you can improve the performance of the model and uh, mitigate accuracy risk the first is a technique called fine tuning fine tuning is basically the process of refining a foundation model and optimizing its performance for a specific domain or activity and classically fine tuning involves further training the model on a more targeted dataset um you know a body of content that's relevant to what you wanted to use the model for and you'd label that data to give the uh, the model the information it needs to learn and make accurate predictions and if 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 that just sounds like technical babble i'll give you an example suppose you wanted an ai model to review share purchase agreements you'd fine tune it by exposing it to a training dataset consisting of facility agreements and tagging the various provisions you wanted the model to learn to identify but with these new lmms there's been a shift away from this classic type of fine tuning towards prompt engineering um and in a nutshell prompt engineering is the process of designing um designing prompts that guide the model towards the desired output uh you know this could consist of embedding instructions examples or data in the prompt which helps to generate responses that are more accurate and more useful and you can then start to build the guardrails for example uh the hallucination problem specifically could be addressed by engineering into a product that can only cite content from an improved database of cases or statutes and there's also techniques like um layering in different types of ai models that are performant in different ways uh to further enhance the quality of 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 the output and all, all of that can help to mitigate accuracy risk yeah and there are some guardrails also where they cite the source so like you mentioned you can say that you can provide your response only within this specific database which you know is 100% yeah. accurate and you can also install the guardrail that says point to the specific source so and, and as lawyers we love to do this so if we're saying that this is the reason or this is uh, the context to why the ai tool is providing the response and you can quickly click on it and go and verify that yourself right yeah absolutely so I guess the overall question is how much can we trust generative AI tools or uh, if not uh, how much can we trust them Yeah So I I think most people when they talk about trust uh they they mean is the accuracy level good enough to justify using the tool and that's that's definitely something um that users of the technology will will need to assess 
But although accuracy risk can be mitigated, with these type of models, ultimately, I don't think you can guarantee accuracy. So it's important that lawyers always verify the output and that the tools make it as easy as possible for the lawyers to do that. So we're talking about verification rather than trusting the output in, in that kind of absolute sense. I, th I think it's all also kind of important to appreciate the limitations of generative AI more broadly. You know, it doesn't possess any expertise as such. Uh, it can give you those human-like responses, but these are essentially based on predictions of what word should follow another in a given scenario. And that might have the semblance of human thought, but it's not thinking in, in the way we generally understand thinking, which, you know, which is important to recognize. Yeah. Um, but again, I'd be interested to know, to know your thoughts. Uh, would you trust generative AI and, uh, uh, how much? So my answer is going to be a very lawyer type answer. It depends. And the reason why I say that is because it really depends on your use case or the legal task you want to use it for and the accuracy levels you are getting for it. Sometimes uh, you do a little bit, if, if you're looking at an M&A transaction, you do a little bit of a diligence just to get to the term sheet stage. So that level mm -hmm. of diligence, maybe you want to run an AI tool to you know, identify specific assignment clauses which may be concerning. Now, I don't want to know the details. I just want a high level review of the contracts to extract the assignment clauses to see whether they're going to be a concern during the M&A transaction. And um, if I'm getting 82% accuracy, maybe that's good enough for that particular M&A transaction. But after the term sheet is signed, before I sign all of the investment documentation for the M&A transaction, I want a much higher level of accuracy. So at that point, an 82% may not be enough. And maybe I'd want to do that manually, or maybe I'd want to do a combination of AI-based plus manual review. So I would really say it depends on the use case and what accuracy levels are acceptable in that particular use case. Um. Another thought I had just very quickly is that, uh, you know, when we talk about trust, I, I do wonder if it's a concept that's more easily applied to, to, to people than to tools. And, um, you know, by way of analogy, if you wanted to do a, a DIY job about the house, it's not so much a case of whether you trust the tools in your tool shed and blaming the hammer or the drill mm -hmm. if something goes wrong. You know, it's more a case of identifying the right tool for the job, you know, which ties in with, with your point about what is it you're doing, um, knowing what the AI does, how to use it and its limitations and having, you know, also having the skill to get the best results when using it. Um, I love that AI. analogy, Brian, because you're right. All tools are really perfect and useful in their own context. You can't use one tool when you're actually supposed to use another. It's not going to work and give you the best results. Yeah. And so it, that kind of comes down to almost whether you trust yourself or your colleagues to use the tool in the right way, having undertaken all the requisite planning and familiarization and Correct. due diligence with the product vendor and so on. So, so that's that's probably how I would see the trust question, yeah. you know, without wanting to suggest, you know, accuracy isn't a material consideration. Yeah. And one more thing I would add is that um, it's also easier or sometimes, not all the time, but typically it is also easier and quicker to verify one response than to start from scratch and do it all on your own. So if you've got an AI tool, which is either pointing you in the direction of relevant case law, it's easier to verify that and maybe do a quick check on your own. But if you were to start from scratch and actually start looking for all the 
relevant case law, it might take you much longer. Whereas if you already have a relevant data set, which is already presented to you, it's much quicker. Yeah. And I guess that's a bit like, uh, you know, reviewing the work of a more junior colleague. Exactly. You know, it's always it's helpful to start with something and then to take that forwards. So I, I definitely agree with, with that theme of treating generative AI as accelerating the starting point for lawyers, you know, rather than kind of leaping to replace a task. It's, it's about, you know, pushing you, pushing you forwards and, uh, you know, give, giving you a bit of a head start. So, Brian, you know, noting the need for the market to address some of these accuracy concerns, hallucination, guardrails, all of that. I was wondering if you could give us an overview of the legal tech landscape for generative AI products. Hmm. So the way that I tend to think about the legal tech market is that the initial wave of generative AI products we're seeing um, very broadly fall into two camps. The first are what I would describe as general multipurpose assistance. And these are products specifically developed around the latest large language models to bring generative AI functionality to law firms. Um, but as we've touched on, specifically trained for legal and addressing specific privacy and security concerns. Um, players in this space include the likes of Harvey and co-counsel. And I, I think they're, they're kind of envisioned as a one-stop shop for law firms' generative AI needs. Um, you know, really the value proposition is that they provide a broad range of functionality that can be deployed in a wide spectrum of use cases. Maybe you might see them as a more accurate and secure version of ChatGPT for legal. But then you've got a second group, and that consists of existing legal tech vendors who are incorporating generative AI, um, you know, for want of a better phrase, to enrich and expand their previous offerings. So they're adding in new areas of functionality, exploiting the availability of these latest models. And those products tend to be more targeted, addressing specific problems or performing particular functions. So I, I generalize those as being more specialist. Um, but you've got a spectrum there with the multipurpose assistance at one end and the more specialist products on, on, on the other. And on top of that, You've then got law firms spinning up their own bespoke solutions. Uh, here we're talking about integrating large language models into proprietary tools, further training models for particular applications, using a firm's own know-how and content. And that, that to me is really quite interesting because I, I think it will be very powerful if firms can successfully generate content that, that mirrors a firm's unique thinking, their, their preferences and their style. Um, and, and then also, if you zoom out from legal tech for a moment, you've also got generative AI being incorporated into non-legal productivity tools, software that's you know not specific to the legal industry, but which lawyers nonetheless use regularly. And I'm particularly thinking of things like Microsoft Copilot, mm -hmm. bringing generative AI to the typical office suite of applications. Um, so lawyers who aren't yet using generative AI via legal tech will no doubt be using it as part of their other day-to-day -day applications in the not too distant future. Yeah. Also, lawyers, a lot of the legal tech tools are built for enterprise, but individual lawyers or solo practitioners could use Copilot because it's built for them as well. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the best approach for a law firm and, you know, where should they spend their generative AI dollars? Uh, 
Well, well, Priya, <laughs> that, that's definitely the million dollar question. Um, I, I think law firms and legal departments will, I'm sure, be evaluating all the different approaches and the, the pros and cons. Given generative AI based legal tech is in its infancy, I think it's premature to draw any conclusions. Firms may just need to bite the bullet and make some uh, some initial investments without necessarily committing themselves in the longer term, given you know we're going to see very significant developments in this space, I'm, I'm sure. In terms of that distinction between the multi-purpose assistants and the specialists that I talked about, it is a really good question. What, what is the sweet spot between productizing models so that they can be used as widely as possible to maximize use cases versus tailoring them to achieve heightened performance in respect of you know, very specific, super valuable use cases? What, what kind of combination of breadth versus depth uh, is going to deliver the most value? And again, it's early days, but I, I'd probably venture the personal opinion that the sweet spot probably lies somewhere in the middle between the generalists and the specialists. It's kind of that they both are coming from different ends of the spectrum in terms of where they're starting from on their product development. But I think they may start to start to meet in the middle as they go on to develop their products. Got it. So can you tell us a little bit about the approach that you're taking within your firm? Sure. And actually, before we dive into that, uh, this is probably a good opportunity for me to quickly clarify that any opinions I give in the podcast are purely my personal opinions, uh, not those of, of BCLP, just to get that uh, housekeeping out sure. of the way. Uh, but but, sure. but getting back to the question, uh, the approach within BCLP, it, it very much mirrors the spectrum of activities we just talked about. And I suppose you call it more of a portfolio of approach. Um, so we were one of a small cohort of law firms selected to get early trial access to co-counsel. And we've had a large number of lawyers throughout the globe trialing co-counsel on a wide variety of use cases to, to explore this really and uh, see where the technology can potentially deliver the most value. Um, we're also working with our existing vendors who are introducing generative AI into their products to understand and feed into their generative AI roadmaps. And we're also exploring how we might be able to in internally productize generative AI, um, including potentially, potentially partnering with others to develop custom solutions, uh, which would address very targeted, high value use cases where we've got very specific internal requirements. Um, and I suppose moving beyond that product level, we're also looking at things more holistically and strategically um, to ensure we put all the elements in place to enable BCLP to unlock the potential of generative AI going, going forwards. So in a sense, it's a multi-pronged approach at different levels. Yeah, yeah. Lots of prongs for sure. Wonderful. So Brian, this concludes our episode on generative AI for lawyers. Thank you so much for your valuable time today. With AI and its applications to law, we've just about scratched the surface to give you, the audience, a sense of the potential applications of generative AI to legal teams and the considerations to bear in mind when doing so. And this space is rapidly evolving. The point of this podcast was to give you a broad overview so that you are better placed to embrace your AI journey with your legal team. Thanks so much, Brian.
It's been my pleasure. It's a really interesting conversation and I'm sure there's so much more to say in that little run and run. And anyone who would like to continue that conversation, who's interested in the generative AI space, do feel free to connect with me on, on LinkedIn. Um, you know, it, it, it's a super interesting topic. Um, you know, please connect with me and look forward to hearing from you. Wonderful. So please take note of that. Anyone in the audience, do reach out to Brian. And thanks again for tuning in. Bye-bye.